This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Dr. Etienne Ali at Intel joins us to discuss blockchain and AI in developing countries and how NetApp HCI can help. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in my basement uh, doing a podcast, and today we are here to talk about uh, AI, as in, and specifically about AI, the way AI is presented in, in countries that are maybe underprivileged, or you know how AI is being democratized. To do that, we brought along Esteban Rubens. So, Esteban, uh, what do you do here at NetApp? How do we reach you? Hi, thanks you for, for having me. I'm part of the healthcare team at NetApp, and I focus on AI in healthcare. Uh, you can reach me at estebanr at netapp.com. That's E-S-T-E-B-A-N-R. And um, also on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter, you can find me at esteban underscore A-I-H-C for AI in healthcare. All right. Uh, also with us today, or should I say, aussi avec nous, Etienne L.A.? Hi. <laughs> Was that, did I did I butcher that, Etienne? No, no, that's uh, that's the way to kind of call it. So my name is Etienne Ellie, and I work at Intel Corporation, but I'm here on behalf of myself, and um, <laughs> I am uh, an avid proponent of artificial intelligence and uh, blockchain and their progressive. Uh, utilization in everyday life, especially in healthcare and in other verticals like artificial um, infrastructure and agriculture. So I can be reached at le.atn at iCloud. I am on Twitter, even though I don't use it that much, I can be reached on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. Um, Even my profile on LinkedIn is crappy these days, so. Yeah. All right, excellent. We'll include that in the blog link uh, after the with the with the podcast uh, that we put out. So, all right, so we're here to talk about AI. We're here to talk about NetApp, of course. Um, but first, let's talk about some of the things that you work on. So, you mentioned blockchain. Um, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that and what that is uh, as at a high level? Well, we I'm part of a lab in Montreal called uh, Montreal Blockchain Lab. Uh, this is my side job, uh, and you know, pushing for uh, to make sure that our you know next generation solutions, uh, our transactions are secure. Uh, in a nutshell, a blockchain like we transfer data and information through internet today. Uh, blockchain is a value uh, transfer uh, solution. Um, so. That's the very one-liner I can give for what blockchain is all about. And then as you can see, for example, we're talking about economic um, you know, issues and healthcare issues. Uh, blockchain is one of the tool of technology in the future we'll be using to transfer value between individual or institutions, right? So... Um, I believe that uh, investing in in this space is uh, paramount 
for uh, healthcare, but all the industries as well. So essentially, it's a way to securely transmit data, right? It's a way to, to have integrity checking on both ends. Well, more value than data because, yes, you have a, this is a correct answer, it's, uh, but you also have to see uh, behind the data, there's some, you're trying to trans, uh, tra- transmit or transfer value, you know, and that's where um, blockchain becoming handy. Like, you know, Bitcoin is one of the uh, great application of, uh, of blockchain. You have uh, things like uh, uh, title transfers, for example, smart contract, all those uh, uh, value, people things are information valuable f- to people and you want to transfer them in a secure manner, making sure that they're not tempered with, right? So So what sort of value does having something like blockchain offer to countries that are underdeveloped or underprivileged where, you know, they have to have more, I guess, secure methods of transfer to protect against maybe governments or nefarious actors? Well... You know, when people ask me questions about uh, AI or blockchain, I always start with uh, digitalization, right? Um, People cannot uh, transfer digital value or information if they don't have a digitalized society. And um, one of the biggest issues you have in countries like uh, uh, Togo, or, you know, Kenya, Nigeria, for example, or some countries in Southeast Asia, is the level of digitalization of those countries are still uh, very low compared to like countries like China or the US, right? And yet in the US, for example, we believe that we still, uh, you know, like for example, healthcare, McKinsey Global Institute, uh, came up with the digitalization index of all the industries, uh, you know, the vertical sectors in our industries. And uh, for health, healthcare, for example, which is the lowest one, is at 28%. So imagine, for example, areas like Africa. So before we get to the level where they can transfer um, secure uh, value through blockchain uh, or exchange value through blockchain, uh, we'll have to think about their digitalization uh, level, how to increase that and how to bring it to the uh, to the level where it is acceptable for people from villages, for example, to exchange. But to your point, it is extremely important to get to that level where blockchain can be used to secure elections, for example, because as we know, most of those countries the elections are not transparent, right? Um, making sure that the tallies are, you know, counted properly, uh, or um, you know, the money can be transferred from one um, person to another one without being uh, stolen. Uh, things blockchain can be used for in, you know, under. Um, Developed countries. Right. Uh, well, uh, we call them now developing countries. We are on the we are on the process of development. So, oh, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
so as far as AI goes, I mean, where does that fit in? I mean, does it does it fit in seamlessly? Is it something that makes sense now, or is it something that we'll see down the line? Well, we we are really behind uh, the curve as far as the U.S. and China are concerned. I I gave a speech in Canada last year on November 25th, and then it was about AI and the economic development of um, the West, not even talking about um, you know African countries, right? And we, you know, in 2030, um, countries who are leaders in the, this AI will be adding uh, something like 125% to their own GDP. Um, but those who are behind will be losing, uh, which is uh, opportunity loss here, something like a 25 to 30% of their GDPs, right? So uh, there's a lot of work to do. I cannot say that AI is just comes in, you know, seamless and then integrate into this, um, the, or the, uh, you know, the culture or the lifestyle of those countries. Uh, it requires, again, going back to the first point I was making, some to increase the digitalization index of these governments, right? Making sure that people have access to uh, compute, uh, they have access to uh, data. We can easily collect the data they have because as you well know, uh, AI uh, is fueled by data. And the more data and, and the more accurate data we have, the better we can create. Um, artificial intelligence solutions for this country, right? I, I think it's really interesting, especially for a company like ours, NetApp, because we always talk about taking care of data and making data access easier and more so rational in general. Now, when th that applies, as Etienne was saying, one thing is the developed world or the industrialized world, whatever you want to call it. And another thing is the developing world. So we talk about cloud a lot, which makes a lot of sense, right? For us in the US or in Western Europe or in Southeast Asia, there's huge benefits from, from leveraging the cloud. And so we've embraced the cloud. Now, if you think about Africa, where Etienne is from, or South America, where I'm from, you know, it was born in Argentina, it's not that easy sometimes because especially as you go into the more rural areas, connectivity is a problem. So the idea that you can leverage the, the, the huge amounts of uh, readily available compute, storage, uh, and, and networking resources in the cloud, well, that's not not that simple because if your last mile is not there, if you can't get to the cloud, you have no on-ramp, so you can't benefit from any of that. So this idea of uh, democratizing AI is really important because there's so much benefit. And we've talked about this in, in other podcasts and there's a lot of information out there of, regarding how AI can, can help uh, providers in healthcare and patients, uh, you know, help providers become more efficient, do more with less, get burnt out less, uh, patients can get better diagnoses uh, quicker. So anyway, a lot of, of benefits, but how to extend those benefits to people with no access to the cloud, for instance. So one thing that we do 
at NetApp, we have our hyperconverged platform, uh, HCI. And with HCI, we can do something really interesting, which is to think about this idea of uh, an appliance, right? So we can do all the heavy lifting, whether it's in the large urban areas. So it could be in, you know, if you think about Brazil, it could be in Sao Paulo or in, or in, in, uh, in Lagos, in Nigeria, or in Johannesburg in South Africa. So there's a lot of uh, brain power there. So the, the models can be developed and trained with the data that Etienne was talking about. But then you can bundle these neural networks that are already trained into something like an AI appliance that for which you need compute, storage, and networking. So if you can get that integrated into one platform like our HCI, you can easily deploy these trained models to very rural areas with no access to to the cloud and they can and so that's the that's where ru the rubber meets the road right that's where you actually provide you know ai that's that's how ai becomes democratized because you're providing these trained models so that uh, you know, focusing on healthcare, the providers and the patients in those rural areas can benefit from the models that are developed in places with universities or, you know, whatever the case may be. So I think it's really interesting to think about the intersection of all these things, because we talk about AI, we talk about AI in healthcare, the cloud, blah, 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 so all that stuff, but how to bring all of that to places that really don't have access to, you know, more basic networking. This is fantastic, um, Esteban. And there is one thing I would love to add to this um, overall concept of bringing technology to Africa or you know Latin America or under developing countries, right? But there is something also we can learn from them, and uh, that is, I give you an example of we're talking about COVID nineteen today, and, and everyone is, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to find where how to kind of solve COVID-19 problems and issues in in the developed countries, right? But it has been proven that in Africa, for example, they have been uh, dealing with pandemic or epidemic, epidemics for many, many, many generations, right? We had the Ebola, malaria is more like a constant there. So they have to live in constant a solution mode to find a way to deal with those health issues. So I heard that in countries like Togo, for example, they only have two or three cases of um, um, COVID-19. Uh, some places, for example, the people came from Europe with the disease, and then uh, it was you know difficult to find areas where you have native African uh, with COVID-19 um, outbreak. The point is, that's a wealth of data. We don't know anything about why they're not getting sick. So there is a reverse uh, innovation there. We can go and then learn from there and then know, understand how and then what is going on and then apply that to developed countries so that we can quickly resolve our problems here. Right? So there is this synergy of being able to go understand, collect data, and then use AI to understand the data we have collected to give some into you know to have some insights in the data they have there, 
and then apply that to what we're doing here and then you know take the uh, the technology wealth we have here and then you know help them advance uh in the other so it's becoming like a real self-fulfilling prophecy i don't know how to call it but something like that so we have we have a lot of lessons to learn from those countries while we are contributing to their development so that's how i see uh, ai playing in this overall picture right and then if we can give them also uh using blockchain to give them the capability to uh, securely transfer uh, values uh, uh or you know s- solutions uh it, i think it will be uh, beneficial for humanity in general yeah, I think that's great. The the idea of the two way street, right? That I, I wasn't really thinking about that much. So, to to that effect, do you think there's a? So we know that data is valuable, and we know that uh, data governance issues are a big deal in AI. So, who benefits from from the data that is used to train models and so on? Do you think there's a, something to be done in the intersection of AI and blockchain so that? You know, if we're using data from, uh, I don't know, countries in Africa or, or Latin America to uh, develop better models for, you know, to, to track or deal with uh, pandemics, how do the people or the countries that are contributing that data benefit? And is there a way to, to implement blockchain to, uh, to, to, to provide better governance, uh, and 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 maybe some kind of value transfer back to the people who generate the data. Yes, uh, that's a fantastic question. I, I strongly believe that there is. I, okay, I'll give you a quick um, a quick example, and then I will tie to that example the answer uh, to this question. So I've been working and then, you know trying to uh, see the next step for uh, you know healthcare in Africa. Uh, as far as the technology is concerned. And one other thing I wanted to create in Africa is um, a biobank. We want to create like a very large biobank of, uh, you know, physiological genomic information and then tie that into like a a cloud solution. For example, net, uh, you know, net up HCI of, you know, using that, and then, you know, I know you're also your cloud solution and uh, get that information, make that information available for uh, research here. Why it is valuable? Because I work in that space in Canada for many couple of years. And one of the challenge we had on the, in the healthcare space, uh, we, it's so uh, regulated, uh, so constrained that we collected a lot of information, but we couldn't use it. Because it's kind of, if one participant decides that they don't want to be part of this cohort or do this job anymore, then the whole system is done. The whole system is, uh, is, is you know, useless, right? Because the, the, the reason is when you create your data, you have so many, your data set, excuse me, you have so many, people who have taken this one that it just the government can say no, the participant can say no, 
those who are doing the, the research can have issue with that. You don't have that problem in Africa. You don't have, you have more flexibility in, on how to manipulate the data and then also being able to go in and collect genuine data. I, another example is nutrition-based uh, environment uh, cohort study, for example. People move and travel so much. I live in probably seven different cities already since I've been in North America, right? But you don't have that problem in Africa. People tend to stay at the same location for a long time, from generation to generation. So it's much easier to tie a nutrition-based research, epidemiology research, to genomic research, to healthcare. So you, you know you have, it's, it's easier to have a pure data in Africa than what we can collect here. And that's where the wealth and the value of being able to work with developing countries in the healthcare, artificial intelligence is all about. And to your point now, to answer your question, uh, Esteban, how do we now return the study and the understanding of the work we're doing here to uh, the results back to those countries, right? And that's the that's something we need to think about. Maybe it's not necessarily true blockchain, but it probably will be true. How do we partner with organizations like uh, uh, foundations who are willing to fund uh, drug development? Because as we come here and then we uh, we take those uh, the data analyze them and then understand them, we'll find patterns, we'll find diseases and things like that. Most of those countries don't have the mean to for drug development and things like that. How can we partner with them, but also partner with foundations here who are willing to, to chip in so that we can give back for those uh, countries. So that's the way I see uh, this two-way street uh, collaboration. Yeah, it's also really nice because a lot of this stuff in uh, in AI in general is open source. And so people can really bootstrap themselves. Uh, they can go to GitHub and get tools and models already developed and they can train those models. They can go to places like Coursera and go take classes or, you know, take, go take classes from MIT or Stanford, a lot of the really prestigious universities all over the world are offering classes online for free. So that seems to play really nicely into this idea of uh, democratizing this type of research because it's easy enough to do, right? You can get all the tools and you can get started if if you want. You don't, the, the barrier to entry is, is quite low, I think. It is, yeah, especially in the 21st century, we have made a lot of uh, progress in making information and the knowledge available. Uh, uh, knowledge abounds in these days. So I think uh, but one of the challenges we can see for countries like in Africa is uh, uh, connection and then access to the knowledge and information, right? I'll give you an example. When I was a teenager, 
in uh, high school or middle school in Africa, we used to, uh, most of our books, uh, you know, education uh, books are from France, came from France, and then we literally study French culture, French everything, right? And that was not a long time ago. So it, it was still, that's still going on today. So now with everything online, you need access to computers so that you can have access to those books. So you don't go to the library and then have access to the, take the book off the shelf and then start, you know, start studying, right? You need access to computer and you need access to internet, uh, you know, have immediate access to connection so that you can have access to knowledge and that they don't have. Uh, yes, some, those who are the upper class of those countries, yes, can have access to that, but those who do not have the luxury to have computer and then have, even having power in their house, right. they can't have access to the, to the information, right? And that's something also we need to be mindful as we we are trying to help these countries. We need to be uh, mindful of that and have a holistic solution on why we're trying to build uh, than just uh, uh, one-sided solution. So, Atn, uh, earlier you mentioned you know elections and, and healthcare as examples of how AI can help regions that you're originally from. So, what other things? are good examples of how AI is, is contributing to making those places better? Well, I think I will go add more in, um, in, to the healthcare part. And I want to give you a quick example. We, we have a conference coming up in two days with uh, AI Med and uh, um, the Ameri- uh, American College of Radiology. And, you know, as we've been working with them, creating a platform, making sure that we can accelerate CT scan, x-rays, and all those things, uh, functional MRI in, the, in, in, in this country uh, from, you know, one hour to a couple of minutes. Uh, the question came to me, like, as, okay, what is going on in the developed countries? Uh, developing countries where people don't have access to radiology at all, right? And I'll I give you an example. If you have a brain, uh, you know, issue, for example, and then you rush to hospital in Africa, chances are you don't have any CT scan or any a functional MR to kind of go in and then look at what is happening, right? So um, Kenya, which is a uh, you know country well known for uh, uh, the uh, for people in America, um, for example, they for the whole country they have something like a two hundred radiologists, right? But if you take Boston, which is one of our uh, biggest cities and most advanced cities in the U.S., for example, you have one street, which is called uh, Longwood Avenue in Boston, and you have four learning uh, teaching hospitals on that street, and you have something like uh, 100, and uh, you have more radiologists, literally more radiologists on that street 
than uh, all uh, Western uh, West Africa combined, right? So maybe we t- we're looking at the, the you know, uh, COVID-19, people are dying of COVID-19 today and it's awful, but I guarantee you that people are dying today, more people are dying in Africa and Latin America and Southeast Asia for lack of solutions like CT scan, understanding what is happening in their their brains and their body by, uh, by the lack of radiology or uh, medical imaging, then people are dying in the West with COVID-19. And that's a tragedy. So how can we help with that? Uh, there are, we're making a lot of progress in the US and in other countries with uh, medical imaging today where people can use uh, some handheld devices uh, to do uh, imaging, to study uh, what is going on you know, inside someone's uh, body today. And you know, being able to use a cloud solution to gather that information make that the information ready for uh, doctors or physicians in the US, for example, radiologists, you have, uh, uh, you know, a crowdsourced radiologists where they can study that, uh, you know, out of their free time and then make a recommendation on what is going on for some disease or things like that. Or some, sometimes just do it live where you can use those handheld, uh, you know, handheld devices to scan what is going on and tap into radiologists in California who can give up, you know, live diagnostics on and then give recommendation on what the physician over there need to care for to treat. So that's the power of technology. If we 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 can use it to to better people's lives um, in that way, right? So um, it is uh, it is it is tremendous the power we have at the tip of our fingers. And if we can use it properly, I think we can better many, many, you know, people lives in those countries. Esteban, how about yourself? Any other uh, examples you can think of? Uh, that's a really interesting example that Etienne brought up. Uh, there's a company called Butterfly IQ that is exactly in that space that is the, 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 miniaturization of the uh, ultrasound transducers so that you can now have one transducer instead of a set of you know 10 or 20 that are specific for different kinds of uh, body parts or what have you and then that is a single device that connects to a smartphone so all of a sudden a whole uh, what they call modality in in medical imaging is shrunk down to almost nothing it's uh, hardened for field use. And furthermore, one really fascinating uh, aspect of AI is that it's not just for providing better diagnosis, for instance. One thing that a, a trained model can do is tell a layperson how to acquire an image better. So if you think about uh, ultrasound, how you hold that transducer, the angle, how uh, hard you're pressing against the body, the, like so many different variables, that all affects uh, what kind of image you get, the, the, the quality of that image. Well, 
if you are a trained uh, sonographer, then you know all this stuff. But it turns out that we can have AI models embedded into the app that is running on your cell phone, smartphone, that can tell you how to change what you're doing so that you can get the best possible image. So, uh, you know, they give you cues, change the angle this way or that way, or, you know, anything else that makes sense. So it's not just about saying, oh, well, this is a mass and I'm going to tell you what I think this mass is. It's about how you're acquiring images. So it's, again, back to the democratization of healthcare in general, right? Because now you can have uh, people with minimal training going out to rural areas and bringing medical imaging, for instance, to people who have never had that before. They never had access to medical imaging. And some things, of course, if you catch something early, we know that the outcomes are always going to be better. And then you can maybe treat things locally without making people travel long distances, right? When things get bad enough, then maybe they have to go to a big city to to get the treatment that they need. So that type of uh, example, I think, is really great because it's a lot of things working together. It's uh, it's it's engineering to to miniaturize the transducer. It's uh, software development to you know, make the app in your smartphone that will uh, acqu- help you acquire the images. It's AI with the the guidance to obtain the best possible image and then, you know, possibly to give you some preliminary diagnosis or to triage what's uh, serious or not serious or even if something is most likely benign or malignant. So there are many examples like that. So ultimately, it, it's always back to the patient, right? It's, it's what's how we can help people better, uh, how mm-hmm. we can, we can make people's lives healthier, longer, happier. And then, uh, certainly I, I always like to mention, uh, burnout, right? Burnout is a huge issue in healthcare. I mean, of course, in the middle of this pandemic, it's becoming, uh, even more prevalent and we don't even know what the ramifications are going to be once things settle down a little bit. Uh, so there's just a lot of pressure on, on healthcare providers all over the world, different kinds of pressure, but the pressure is there no matter where you go. So if technology can help alleviate some of that pressure, then uh, you can you can achieve many things at once. And you know, people talk about the triple uh, uh, aim or the quadruple aim in healthcare. And you know, that ends up involving making things better for patients, making things better for providers uh, for a lower cost, right? And so the huge, and it's not just promise, it's it's actual uh, sort of delivered results that technology and AI can can do this. Now it's how do we make this worldwide? How, we, how do we bring this to places that maybe have been left behind? And as Etienne was saying before, uh, make the the two-way street so that we can learn from things that maybe we need to learn in terms of yeah living with uh with with things like malaria that you know us uh, you know we're not that that used to here it is uh how do we make sure that um people in the developing countries they can have what they call electronic healthcare record system Today, you have a lot of people 
in those countries who are not educated, right? And then even those who are educated, you can't you, you can't have uh, a healthcare record where you, when you go to one physician, that physician can have access to all your history of what is going on with your healthcare. So they they spend time treating the symptoms instead of um, you know the whole you know having like a overall comprehensive uh, patient outcome. What about just having a solution where someone's fingerprint can, you know, give the physician access to their, you know, secure, you know, blockchain uh, uh, solution, their medical record. And that's that's extremely important because then when someone ends up in, um, whether it's an ICU or emergency, uh, you can the physician can trace back on um, what are the things uh, this person been taking as medication or is this person being uh, followed by another physician because they don't have today a way to uh, have all uh, this information in uh, a centralized uh, mean right so we have. We think that's the, that's why the work you guys are doing is is, is it's extremely important, and fabulous because uh, the cloud solution you have can be literally um, you know used to advance this case, you know causes in in, in Africa and uh, Latin America or Southeast Asia. All right, uh, ATN, Esteban, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about healthcare and AI and blockchain in countries that are still developing and, and how that's going to help them down the road. Um, so, uh, Etienne, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that again? Well, I am um, on Twitter and um, LinkedIn, Etienne Eli. You'll find me on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, I have my personal email, which is Etienne at iCloud.com. All right, Esteban. Thank you for having us. It's uh, a lot of fun as usual. Uh, I can be reached at EstebanR at NetUp.com. It's E-S-T-E-B-A-N-R at NetUp.com. And uh, LinkedIn is a good way to reach me as well. All right. Uh, Esteban uh, and Etienne, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for hosting. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Etienne Lee and Esteban Rubens for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.